Welcome <laughs> to episode 12 of Romantic Underpinnings, the podcast. My name is Andrew. <laughs> Why did your voice get so much lower? Because I'm announcing it the way I would announce like a, you know, the fourth in a series of very important movies full of gravitas. Uh-huh. I was doing like trailer voice. Got it. And the person doing trailer voice is Andrew. Also with me is... This is Ashton. Hi. Hello. We're recording episode four of Romantic Underpinning. and it's Four? <laughs> you know... <laughs> Have we gone back in time? We've gone way back in time. No, uh, we're recording episode 12 of Romantic Underpinnings, the collaborative romance novel writing podcast where... Every other week, I write a chapter from the perspective of the heroine of this novel we're writing together. Ashton writes chapters from the perspective of the hero on alternate weeks. And together, we read the first drafts uh, of each other's work to each other. It's all very eloquent, as you can tell. (laughs) And then we talk about it, and we interrupt each other, and... Hilarity ensues. So Ashton is about to read a chapter that I have written in our historical romance set in 1690 on a dubious sailing mission that a crew of English sailors and one Dutch woman pretending to be an English sailor are going on to France with whom England is at war. However, in this episode... I'd, I'd call it a bit of a bottle episode, as they say in the mm. TV industry, because um, the hero and heroine find themselves alone together on the ship while the crew has uh, dispersed to frolic among the pleasures of a French seaside town. And this chapter takes place inside of a boat. That's the only spoiler I'll give you before Ashton starts reading. Um, yeah, and we do have to apologize this week. We're a little bit behind. It's been a ridiculous week. So we're releasing one or two days late. So we apologize. Um, and you can find us on romanticunderpinnings.com. Our Twitter is romunderpod. And our Instagram is at romanticunderpinnings. But now I will commence reading. Wait. Let's explore language, romance, and resilience. And welcome to Romantic Underpinnings. First, I want to mention I echo the apology. However, I also want to say you're welcome. Because (laughs) um, this chapter will change the lives of everyone who hears it for the worse. And uh, we have obliged you by delaying this (laughs) terrible event that's about to befall you. I can't wait to read it. Sort of. All right, chapter 12. Agatha sat on a barrel in the hold, fidgeting. Anthony made a surprising amount of clanking noises for someone cooking porridge, but she studiously avoided looking in the corner that constituted a galley. She couldn't look at Anthony, she could only stare. Her greasy and blistered hands felt like they must be about to wear into nothingness from all their ringing under the table. Why are they greasy and blistered? Well, I feel like I, they'd be blistered from like dealing with ropes right. from the week I got as a that. But why are they greasy? Um, I feel like that just happens aboard a ship for some reason. 
What they be dry, if anything? Salt water, etc. Chapped, dry, blistered. I don't know. I think they're greasy. Ooh, just like dip them in chicken fat for funsies. Quite possibly. <laughs> she tapped a foot incessantly on the planks and feared that the noise she made would overwhelm even the mighty din from the kitchen. She wished she could read a book or darn a sock or untangle a mass of seaweed on a frigid beach. Anything to distract her from being alone on this particular boat with this particular captain. She had occasionally regarded men with a kind of distantly purient appreciation, but she'd never felt this kind of need for one. Anthony's face was a bell-tolling paradoxical innocence from a cathedral of sinister sinew. What kind of sentence is that? (laughs) I I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. I wrote that like immediately after an online poetry reading. Oh, so I was my like Atlanta. doing a bunch of really goofy word choices. Bell tolling paradoxical innocence from a cathedral of sinister sin. I'm saying like he has like a, you know, hulking, masculine, possibly somewhat like large and theoretically threatening body, but his face is so, you know open and pure and it just radiates his innocence uh which is in contrast to to this you know hulking intimidating form that he has makes perfect sense (laughs) (laughs) all right his voice challenged and reassured her cajoled and comforter she risked another glance toward the galley where anthony seemed to have just burned himself he hopped up and down emitting a ferocious hiss do you need any help Captain? Agatha hazarded to ask. There's no need to call me that when it's just the two of us, Peter. Call me Anthony. Anthony's calm voice would have sounded more convincing if he still wasn't hopping on one foot. Do you need any help, Sir Anthony? Agatha corrected herself as quickly as she could. I'm look I'm cooking dinner for for us, Peter. I don't need any help, and I don't think I'll earn the title Sir Anthony anytime soon. Agatha supposed that despite Anthony's finer qualities, there were some ways in which all men were apparently alike. Without a word, she climbed to the deck and lowered a bucket into the cold seawater. She carried the bucket down and set it as subtly subtly as possible in the prep area next to the galley stove. She retweeted, (laughs) retweeted, (laughs) retweet, oh my god, now I can't say it at all, retreated, jeez. Quickly, trying to ignore the ominous noises emerging from the stove. Anthony stared at the bucket for a moment, still stilled his hopping and hissing, and shrugged before shoving his left hand in the bucket. Oof. He grunted a thanks and continued to cook. Agatha sat on her barrel, wishing she had a deck of cards, a ball string, or a pamphlet of typeface samples to peruse with the intense focus that her physical state brought about. Is typeface even a thing? When was Gutenberg? Gutenberg was like the second half of the 15th century. Oh, okay. I think. Maybe even first half of the 15th century. Gutenberg right. was way... Yeah, that was typefaces left, right, and center in uh, 1690. And she would know what that is? I, I mean, guess? Yeah. I don't know if she would have actually flipped through a catalog of samples, because that seems like a pretty industry specific thing but i wanted to think of like basically dry industrial reading material emphasis on the word dry but anyway (laughs) as soon as her weight transitioned from indefinite to eternal 
Anthony gave a cheery holler and trundled across the hold with a couple of bulls. Their conversation over dinner drifted with ease, which surprised Agatha, given their wide gaps in life experience, not to mention the deception that gnawed at her. She didn't feel guilty as she knew that she was within spitting distance of performing the role for which Anthony had hired her. But as he regaled her with tales of adventures he'd had and the type of adventures he fully expected would festoon her future, she had a hard time playing the role of a young sailor. She wondered for a moment whether she could keep it up, voyage after voyage, storm after storm. Then it occurred to her that even if she always had a captain as oblivious as Anthony, she'd inevitably be found out by someone on the crew. This chapter of her life would come to a close as suddenly as it began, and all that she could take from it would be memories and an opportunity for something else, whatever that might be. Even Anthony seemed to have no idea how this mission would end up, so that left memories as her only certainty. What would she remember? What would she like to remember? She stared woozily at Anthony's lips until she noticed that he was talking. What do you say, lad? Sir? Anthony, I already asked you not to call me that tonight, and at this point, I really must insist. Agatha had no idea how to answer his original original question, so she pressed onward. By what authority can you demand that I not call you sir? I'm your captain, lad. Agatha pressed her advantage. Don't you agree that hierarchy is central to discipline and cohesion among crews, and that without it, sailing would be an even more dangerous occupation? Wow, that's also quite the sentence. Yeah, that's just how people talk, though. Is that really how people talk? I don't think so. It's completely how people talk. I mean, just to clarify, she's asking, she's making him stick to hit the sir thing because she wants him, she doesn't want to call him Anthony? Yeah, she's insisting on calling him sir. For the cohesion of this team or whatever? Well, no, at this point, she's just making shit up. What she really wants to do is distract him from the fact that she was not paying attention when he Uh, asked her a question earlier. So she's just trying to, like, totally derail the conversation. With hilarious results. uh, Yes, Anthony sputtered, but what does that have to do with anything? And where did you learn to talk like that? (laughs) Sir, if you agree with me that we must respect rank aboard this vessel or else risking casting our lives to the mercy of the waves like so many orange peels. But they've had oranges. I mean, oranges were in Spain. That's oh, not that's too fair. far away. Okay. And it's very important. I don't know if it was common well, at this time. Well, I know time, Dutch but... people are the Dutch of... Oh, that's true. Orange yeah. like or whatever, or, but... Yeah. William of Orange was around way before this. But right. um, also, I don't know if the science around scurvy had really solidified at this oh, time. Yeah. But citrus is pretty important. It does at some point, though. Everybody brings lemons and stuff. Well, limes, most famously limes. for the British. Sorry, but I mean, I'm sure whatever citrus you got is a good idea, such as oranges. Anyway, I just like the, like if I were on a sailing trip, you know, there's like brief periods of adventure and maybe some periods of indolence. And during a period of indolence on a sailing ship, there's nothing I would personally enjoy more than just slowly peeling an orange and eating it and dropping the peel over the side or possibly feeding it to friendly seagulls who I befriend. But anyway, it's a separate issue. <laughs> Um, okay. Sir, if you agree with me that we must respect rank aboard this vessel or else risk casting our lives to the mercy of the waves like so many orange wheels, then it's of paramount importance that I continue to call you sir. Sir. Anthony furrowed his brow. But you disobeyed a direct order. You claim to respect my rank, but all you're doing is flaunting my authority. 
The correct word is flouting, sir. And, sir, my honor as a sailor forced me to disregard your order as we've already established that it would have put our own lives in peril as we well as well as the rest of the crew. I've heard enough stories about captains going mad during long voyages to the colonies, sir. Sometimes the only way a crew can properly respect their captain is to take control of the vessel and prevent him from destroying the lives that are put under his charge. Anthony slapped the table. Enough, he shouted. First of all, the rest of the crew isn't here. Second of all, we're so close to shore that someone could rescue us by holding one of those long loaves of bread that so enamor the French. Baguettes, sir. Don't interrupt me. And third of all, you've been a sailor for a week. What do you know about responsibility? What do you know about saving lives? You sally aboard your first ship, prove yourself a worse cook than I am, then propose to usurp me as captain because I've shown you some mild preference. Anthony and Agatha glanced down at their porridge bowls at exactly the same time. Neither of them had been touched. Touched. Anthony's face had turned red, but he couldn't hide his smile. After a long pause, he resumed speaking. All right, lad, I can't best you in silly word games. Sometimes you seem more like those fork-tongued ladies at court than an honest Dutch gutter snipe. Really? <laughs> There's nothing, you know, <laughs> really? subtlety is the hallmark of all my chapters. <laughs> yes, it is. Wow. But for the rest of the night, I'll put you in charge of the ship. You're captain now. I'll follow your orders and maybe I can, you can, maybe I can show you how it's done. A dizzying array of possibilities flashed through Agatha's mind. Thanks to Artemisia's careful tutelage, several of them involved ropes. For the time being, she continued teasing her haplessly appealing captain, anything to keep him from prying into her own history. Sir, I'm now your captain. You may address me as sir. Agatha said with her lowest and haughtiest voice. Haughtiest voice. I know. Can I you do that in your lowest and haughtiest voice? Pronounce that word. <clears throat> sir, I'm now your captain. You may address me as sir. Is that better or the same? Bingo. If you're the captain, sir, then why do you also address me as a superior? <clears throat> Anthony asked. Have you learned nothing, lad? Bellowed Agatha. If you want me to address you by your Christian name, you must earn the privilege. As of now, I'm more likely to lash you for insubordination. Oh, geez. I'm sorry, sir, Anthony mumbled. What would you have me do? You're going to answer a question, Agatha grinned. You said that you'd shown me a slight preference, and as your captain, I must say I'm disappointed. Is slight really how you would characterize your preference for me? Peter... Sir, I'm sure you've noticed the special interest I've taken in you. I've tried to give you a lifetime of sailing experience during our brief time together. I've shown you everything that's beautiful to me and everything that terrifies me, and I put my life in your hands. I wasn't disappointed. I've never felt such a connection to anyone aboard a ship, except, of course, for Henry, who is more like a father to me than my own father. But you, I would say you're like my brother, but you're also... So distant and so mysterious. You're like a shimmering citadel that appears over the horizon before the rest of the town. I can't quite make out what I see, but you glitter with the promise of untold riches. My preference for you is anything but slight. Wow, what a soliloquy? Monologue? Which is it? It's a monologue because it's addressed at someone else on stage, whereas a soliloquy is addressed directly to the audience. Okay. I couldn't. I can never tell. I can never remember I mean, which is which. It's a lot like a soliloquy <clears throat> in that it 
deviates very far from the characters, you know. Yeah, I didn't feel like speaking. I mean, (laughs) none of that seemed really in character with him. Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) I wanted to do the shimmering citadel. Oh, my Lanta. Okay. Agatha remained still and silent for a moment. She wondered how the contents of the barrel she was sitting on had suddenly grown so hot. Anthony no longer showed any trace of his previous confusion and indignance. What is that word? And and indignance. Oh, I said it right. What does that mean? I think Uh, I know. The state of being indignant. Okay. Seriously. Uh, I don't know if I can quickly define indignance. Oh, okay. Just like, you know, like, you can't say that to me. Like, what's going on here? Like, you're just like indignant. I don't, I don't think I know what it means now. I think if anything, it, the waters have been muddied. Uh, all right. The microphone is going to pick up my... Click clacketing. Yes. Anyway, indignant. Feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. Ah, okay. <clears throat> he still showed no interest in the porridge. He just looked straight in her eyes, not smiling or frowning, not looking away or making any gesture to dissipate the gravity of what he'd said. Agatha forgot their playful role reversal, forgot who she was supposed to be, and fell deeper into Anthony's eyes. At last, she spoke again. He spoke again. That's oh, sort of important. Sorry, he spoke again. As a dutiful member of your crew, there's something I should mention. We might die on this voyage, sir, all of us. That gives us much to consider, and even if we survive, I know that the voyage has changed me forever. You've changed me forever, sir. How so? asked Agatha. She couldn't muster much of a voice. Anthony hesitated and finally smiled. I fear it wouldn't be my place to say, sir, if I told you what I wanted to do with you. I would risk sounding like I wish to give you orders. I won't give you any orders until tomorrow. I'm yours to command. Stand up, sailor, Agatha ordered. Wow, now you're doing order gate. Yeah. He said orders like four times in that sentence. Well, and once in the next sentence, just for good measure, put the little cherry on top. Yeah. Anthony stood immediately and Agatha rose from her barrel to walk toward him. Her eyes were level with the chest hair that peeked out between his collarbones. You gave him chest hair? I mean, I think it would have been less realistic not to give him chest hair. I guess. No, I I, I stand a hairy-chested hero. <laughs> she decided that she would do this. She needed to dissipate this tension that had been building with her, building between them. She needed to feel Anthony lose all his restraint. She needed to make this memory. Kiss me, sailor. I thought you'd never ask, sir. Without warning, Anthony scooped a hand under her thighs and picked her up. Agatha ended up on her back, ended up with her back to the sloping hull, and her front crushed against Anthony's warmth. How could something so hard exude such a deep warmth? He silenced her speculation with a kiss, his mouth surging against hers as a wave of desire rolled through his entire body, with one hand supporting her backside and the other snaking behind her necks neck jeez his lips with their years in the cold salt air felt rough against their her own see chapped i did it well there yeah Yeah, i figured it out not greasy okay i'll fix it so that his lips are also greasy (laughs) Ah, no then she's gonna have to be grossed out by his kissing okay they can stay chapped when his tongue entered her mouth, all she could do was focus on this new conversation. The moments of connection before he darted away, 
the hot breath washing over her and low moans rumbling through her. Just a quick note, the remainder of this chapter has been deemed too hot for podcast by multiple governing bodies. To find out what happened, go to your nearest airport Hudson News outlet and buy the hardback when we release it. Thank you. End of chapter. Yeah, what what an end. So I I like as soon as they started messing around with like him trying well, to Well, yeah, immediately going to know if they're pushed up against each other. Well, no, no, I'm talking about the um like that ending unfortunately was whispered to me by the gods of poetry <laughs> about like a third of the way into the chapter. Like as soon as I found out mm. that like he was trying to get her to call him Anthony. Right. And then they were like messing around with the word sir and everything. Like right. that little like her finally calling him Anthony and then him questioningly saying sir. Like that just <laughs> that just had the inevitability of a boulder rolling down a hill toward a small rabbit eating a piece of grass. The pictures you paint, honey. That's my specialty, you know? <laughs> I work wonders with words, and other times I do stuff like this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> with the glimmering citadel atop a city or whatever the hell you said. Well, you totally do, like, that. you totally do notice, like, the tall buildings first when you approach a city by the water. Like, yeah, and I mean, I think that you were, you were good with your words the whole time, except for um, that first sentence with the sinew and the bell tolling and the whatever. I was like, this might be a little too much. Yeah, I, I could, um... I got a little carried away with Just some slightly. of the metaphors yeah. early in the chapter. There's a yeah. few other instances. It calmed as well. down quite nicely. Well, yeah, that's because I just finished it a couple days after the poetry reading. So <laughs> I was writing more like a prose writer. I mean, in the defense of poets, most poets, if they know that they're writing prose, would not be that ridiculous. But oh well. <laughs> I mean, this is what we're here for. The important thing here is that. I have given you the opportunity to write something even more um, parent-thwartingly explicit than what I have started with so far. Or, you know, <laughs> you could modestly pull the uh, curtain across the scene of two young lovers and skip straight to the morning after and the dynamic with the crew and the rest of whatever the... they're about to get into a fight what do you mean that's true i mean i was thinking this she sort of seduced him under false pretenses right i mean what do you what do you mean the more there's they're not he's not gonna he's not gonna stand for this i don't think so i mean i wouldn't that's true it was <laughs> false pretenses right like if i mean if situations were reversed mm-hmm I don't think I'd be into it if some person I was chasing turned out. I mean, what whatever you're into is cool, but it'd be better to be upfront about it before you start going, you know, yeah, grab-assing well, people. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, I, and Agatha got a little carried away. It's I'll say true. she did. And, yeah, she she didn't really find an opportunity to stop and have, like, Hold that on. talk with him. Well, or any time. I mean, I don't know about the talk, but I, I, mean, I think that's a pretty basic plot-like thing to disclose about yourself before you jump into bed with somebody. 
Yeah, but sometimes when you are, like are pretending to be that's true I a sailor, say basic. like this is you know, it was sort of a matter of self preservation for her not to disclose right. until mm. things you know mutually got a little bit heated yeah, and escalated quickly. Yeah. And while it's important to be upfront, I think it also, you know, like there is some kind of connection between the two of them, just like as two humans, regardless of specific genital configuration. Well, I think that's like what I'm mostly trying to convey in my chapters is like, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I'm trying to convey is that they want each other. <laughs> well, right. If that's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, they want each other yeah. regardless. They don't care. But things are definitely, you know, uh, the cards are on the table now. And they have to um, push the chips around and mm. see what happens. And now wow. you get to figure that out. Great. Also, I don't know how many chapters there have been, but we haven't gotten very deep into France. I mean. You know, I did basically absolutely nothing for the plot. Well, so chapter. did I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. They act- Neither we- one of us. We've had, like, two chapters that took place <laughs> over a span of, like, three hours right. in or, real time. Yeah, maybe four. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that happens sometimes in the more interesting stuff. I mean... Yeah, but- If you can start getting a lot of dialogue, then it's, like, shortens the life expectancy of a scene by... Oh, yeah. Leaps and, and I definitely, I got, I started you having. You were in the dialogue. Way too much fun writing dialogue. Um, <laughs> I couldn't tell. Yeah. Well, I really like, it reminded me, and this is going to sound like I've crawled up my own ass, and I'm not saying I did it as well, but I was like, it felt sort of like the dialogue in like a Shakespeare comedy. Yeah. Like sort of sly. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, listen, Bill Shakespeare, you know, knew what he was doing. So I'm not like saying you're. Writing the next Macbeth. But it felt sort of sly, like a Midsummer Night's Dream, like everyone knows something else, but the other person doesn't know. Sort of winking at the audience type of yeah, I, drawing I, you in thing. I think I'm an inveterate winker at the audience uh, right. for my sins. But anyway, is a mixture of getting into enjoying all of that. And right. also I've like always secretly harbored a desire to be a playwright. Right. Um, Which I knew. But... Uh, I also, I'm. I, I have to confess, I'm like slightly hesitant to actually push the plot forward. I know. Like I'm fine with <laughs> Anthony giving like huge out of character speeches, right. but that doesn't mean that you have That's to deal with the fact we that we don't like, know what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> well, yeah, like you know, if if it, this chapter was what I feel like leaves you in a better place than say if I suddenly introduced like. <laughs> A band of like penguins on cross country mm. skis who tow them over the French countryside. I mean, but or whatever. like one of us is gonna have to like actually make a decision, and the other one's gonna have to be on board, which is fine. I was like sort of hoping you would do it, which is why I like sort of punted last week. I'm being like, well, they're just gonna stand around and yell at each other for a while. Well, there's like a little sly innuendo at the end that they're like alone together for the first time, but. <laughs> Yeah, and I <laughs> picked up that baton. <laughs> and, and walked two feet with it and set it back down. <laughs> exactly. But, oh boy, uh, things are, you know, like, at the end of the chapter, like, the physical configuration of our hero and heroine is such as it has never been before. <laughs> well, that's true. 
And if you want to know what will happen next, who wins the fight? Will there be tears? Will there, will there be a dramatic reconciliation? Will there be penguins on cross-country skis? Probably. Now there's no reason to tune in <laughs> to episode 13 of Romantic Underpinnings. But I think people will tune in anyway. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that people are tuning in now. So, <laughs> well, hi to our four listeners. We appreciate you. Hopefully, we only have like three at the moment. We love you. But thanks for listening. (laughs) All right. Hello, indeed. And goodbye, because I think this concludes the episode. Tune in again next week for another exciting chapter of Romantic Underpinnings. That's the title of our podcast.